Let me just give you a quick summary up until this moment. Uh, we said in the last class that the supreme affection of God is to preserve and demonstrate and share the infinite supreme value of His glory in all creation. Remember that? God wants to demonstrate. That is His desire. That is His supreme affection to, to exalt Himself as the creation may benefit from what He rejoices in, mainly Himself. The supreme passion of God is seen in the exaltation of His glory. And uh, in other words, God loves Himself with an infinite love. We began to look at this idea of worship. Where, where is the place, what is the dynamic where His glory and my satisfaction join together? And I suggested that that is found in genuine worship. And that's where I want to go today on the idea of worship. Before I do, let's pray. <coughs> Father, we are grateful and thank you, Lord, for sending the incomparable gift to humanity, your Son. Thank you so much. Father, we sit in these pews and we stand behind this pulpit, Lord, Men and women changed by the power of your grace. And we will not take that for granted. And forgive us for the times we've mistreated that. Cleanse us, Lord. And this morning, put the capstone on these last four weeks of teaching, Lord. And help us to be doers. And not just hearers. To you we'll give you all the glory and all the honor. In the precious name of our King, Jesus Christ. Amen. It was sometime around this time, a couple of millennia ago, that Jesus went into Jerusalem the last time. He goes in, riding upon the back of a donkey, and the people are shouting, Hosanna, 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 and they're throwing their cloaks in his path, and they're exalting him and throwing palm branches and he made that into quite a celebration in many denominations today. But in less than a week, those same people who shouted Hosanna will shout, Crucify him! Crucify him! I say that as a word of introduction because worship is not necessarily contingent on outward expression. Although real worship is uncontainable. We'll talk about that in just a moment. Jesus told us, but the hour is coming and now it is, God's here, when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. <coughs> the Father is seeking such people to worship Him. God is spirit. Those who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. When he says the true worshipers, that's a clue that there must be some worshipers who worship him incorrectly in a manner that does not magnify his worth. So we're saying, how do we, how do we worship him in a way that dignifies him 
exalts his glory, and engages with our deepest satisfaction as we pursue that one great magnificent obsession. Worship is not something we can add to him. There is nothing we can add to him. He doesn't get off on our music. He doesn't get off on our on our uh, uh, expressions. Heaven is filled with finer music and finer um, examples of praise and worship that we have here on earth. I think the way that we enter in engage in this genuine worship, somebody mentioned this last week, is we choose to reflect back to Him what pleases Him with pure hearts and clean spirits, reflecting back to Him His glory. So if His glory is the only thing that can uh, really dominate His satisfaction, then we as the creatures can reflect back to Him His own glory. I don't know if you're getting this, but you see this over and over and over again in the Psalms. I have a list of Psalms here, you can ask me after class, I'll give you some text, where the psalmists recount to God His infinite perfection. And they take great labor in this. They're not, they're not stingy in this. They're recounting to Him how, how merciful He is and how He walked with Israel and how His, his his forgiveness abounds and how his power is made naked in the eyes of, of nations. And, and all of these attributes, their worship consisted of reflecting back to him his own attributes. And I would suggest that is the key to worship. Not It's not that we come to him and we can add something to him. It is being a clean mirror to reflect back to him his glory in the most sincere way we can. And we do that. We do that. We do that with songs. Uh, some songs have lyrics that are centered on us. Um, but when I look at the songs and I see these men Worshiping the Father, they are count, counting back to God His greatness. And I have found it a challenge when I'm worshiping the Lord to, in my house or in the church, to present to Him what excites Him. I would suggest what excites Him, as I did in the classes before, is His holy. is something that we participate in and it requires two things. It requires the knowledge of the greatness and the infinite majesty of God. And it requires inward feelings that reflect that knowledge. You can what can Worship the Lord, but how, how do you worship what you do not know? How can you worship someone that you do not know? And I would suggest that one of the key issues in worship is knowing God. 
which Jesus Christ has torn down the barrier so that we can walk in and know this Yahweh. <clears throat> of course, at times that knowledge will wane or it will grow. But without knowing Him, you will have nothing more than a mere religious exercise. Let me, let me give you an illustration of what I'm talking about. Imagine with me a laboratory. This is a, a biological laboratory, a research laboratory. And the scientists come in every day, and you observe them, and they are excited. These men and women, dressed in their lab coats, rush to their places of work. They begin to perform their experiments. <coughs> There's a buzz, there's an excitement, there's an anticipation among them. They don't take coffee breaks. They usually, but they don't take coffee breaks now because they are on the cusp of something. Experiments that are begun, that require a time sequence, require that they stay there. They don't go home. They put a cot down on the floor and take naps in the laboratory until the experiment is done. There's an excitement. From the administrator all the way down to the to the to the, the, the rookie in the lab, because they are this close to finding a cure to cancer. And then each night comes in Ray. When Ray comes in. He got the cart. Has my buckets. Has brooms. He comes in and he cleans up. He walks in, puts the ticket in, boop. He goes and starts sweeping the cleaning. And he moves the, the test tubes and he dusts. Maybe he's listening to music. Disattached, unattached to what's happening in the laboratory. At the end of the shift, he goes and takes his Ticket, puts it in the time clock, pushes his cart to the closet. Day after day, he comes back. There is no enthusiasm. There's no excitement. And yet, you're in the same building, and there's a vast difference between the attitude of these scientists and the attitude of Ray. What is it? Ray doesn't have a clue what's in these test tubes under his nose. Both sides The difference is knowledge. Are you with me? Yeah. And so worship, worship includes a deep, personal, growing knowledge of the one who saves. But it means more than knowledge. Worship as well. It includes knowledge, but I'm going to use the E word. It includes emotion. Emotions that correspond with that knowledge. And I would think if you know God, as He opens Himself to be known, that would kind of excite you. That would kind of tear down the barriers. This is why I would suggest that God gave you emotion. Not to be trampled by others, 
not to be misused or abused, but emotions. To bathe him in his glory with the affections that exalt this glory. I can tell my wife, I know what size your shoes are, I know your skirt size, I know your blouse size, I know what makeup you like, I can know her well. But if I do not express to her my emotions, which mainly are my satisfaction in her, then our marriage will be very dry, very brittle. I may have another. Unless I have the, the emotions that correspond to that, we'll have some challenges. I would say that God gave us emotions for the purpose of enjoying Him and exalting Him. I would also suggest that these emotions are the natural expression of encountering, encountering God as your one great magnificent obsession. They're not drugged up. They're not genuine. They are natural expressions of the happiness in son. These would be, I would say, things like joy, delight, satisfaction, humility, awe, fear, things like this that take place in the interior. Emotions are important. Because they demonstrate value. They communicate a thing's importance or its uselessness. You can have the knowledge. Your emotions will determine whether it is valuable to you or not. In the Bible, we find raw emotion everywhere. You just see it everywhere. When men are interacting with God. Psalm 16, says, You make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand there are pleasures in the Lord. Psalms 37, 4. Delight yourselves in the Lord. And he'll give you the desires of your heart. That admonition to, to find what you're looking for in him. Psalms 5.11, but let all who take refuge in you rejoice. Let them ever seek for joy and spread your protection over them, that those who love your name may exalt in you. Do you see what I'm saying? The dimension of worship includes knowing God. It goes a step further. It is also hooked together with the emotions that correspond with that knowledge. If your knowledge of God is small and indifferent and limited, Naturally, your response emotionally to him will be likewise. The more you know him, the more you'll be less inhibited to express your deepest joy in him, your awe, your fear, your wonder, your amazement in him. John Piper said this, If God's reality is displayed to us in his word, and we do not then feel in our heart any grief or longing or hope or fear or awe, or joy, or gratitude, or confidence, then we may dutifully sing and pray and recite and gesture as much as we like, but it will not be real worship. 
if our heart is far from Him. But He draws a line between knowing Him and, and, and we, can, we can know Him and at the same time not express to Him the value of that knowledge. Worship upon knowing Him verse forth when we see that incomparable greatness of the Son of God. If I say, when he hands your worship, I would say, set your heart upon the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, feature those in this book, spend hours in it, meditate it, chew on it, drink it, suck the oil from the rock, whatever it takes, as you yield to the Holy Spirit, who illumines this and transfers verbs and nouns and adjectives into a living thing that becomes a part of it, and that will affect your emotional. Now, in light of this, one may say, well, what's the best form? We're in a congregation. Really, form is not the issue here. Every church has its own form. What is the issue is the excellency of Christ is seen. And when the excellency of Christ is seen, worship will burst forth. And then, amen. Amen. I mean, nobody goes to the edge of the Grand Canyon and contemplates their self-importance. They stand in awe. We stand before the Creator, revealed through Jesus Christ. It should provoke deep, deep emotions in our hearts. Now there are false emotions. We uh, we're very good actors. <clears throat> we're quite skilled at presenting false emotions. And I'm going to speak here of my observation of the church in general, churches that I've ministered in and seen this. I find that it is common to see false emotions. These are the folks who clap their hands, sing, but their actions are superficial and they're routine. They're automatic and they're ultimately fake. I mean, this is kind of, kind of the, the clue is the worship leader says, stand up, sit down, lift your hands, put your hands down. Uh, in Spanish, they'll say, just uh, a moment, and that means everybody, that's a clue for everybody to respond, Gloria! In other words, everything is orchestrated from the guy up here leading the worship. There is no spontaneous mm, expression of genuine enthusiasm for the discovery of Christ. with reckless, raw emotion 
would be inappropriate. Uh, I, I personally think that he deserves extravagance. And uh, people say, well, you get out of order. Well, order is not the issue here. The issue is the child who sees his daddy come home from war. And he's not worried about what people in the airport think. When he runs, when the child runs to grab his daddy. I was one of those children. And my daddy came back from Vietnam. And it didn't bother me uh, what people thought. When we saw our dad, we attacked him <laughs> violently in plain view of everyone. But some people would think that their, their concept of God is something and small. And, and, and they would think, well, any, any expression of undue emotion would be inappropriate. There's another limitation, a cultural limitation. Some cultures are just difficult. It's difficult for them to express their emotion. In some places, it's a taboo, uh, mainly the Orientals. Uh, some places, you don't touch one another. But here in Mexico, you don't just touch people. You kiss them. You know, a, I remember one time, I was in a revival here, and uh, at the end, the pastor said, I want everybody to come and say goodbye to John. So there's 500 people in the church waiting in the line, and they're coming up, and they're coming up, and the women come up, and they all kiss you, kiss you, kiss you, kiss you. And you just kind of hit the rocking motion, kiss you, kiss you, kiss you, kiss you. Finally, a man came, and I owed. <laughs> I go back to the States, and I get back into church, and, and I see people I haven't seen before, and I, I almost get, I, I think I did one time, I kissed the sister on the cheek. And then I apologize and said, I'm sorry. We do that in Mexico all the time. I'm sorry. There's difference in cultures. And some cultures find it very, very difficult to express their, their, their emotions. Emotional limitations is another um, uh, handicap, I would say. These folks are resigned to the thought that, well, that's just the way I am. I'm just real quiet. I'm a quiet person. And that's just the way I am. I got my degree in psychology. worked as a psychologist for a year. We have a term for that. It's called flat affect. Flat affect is when somebody has no emotional bearing whatsoever. He doesn't get excited. He doesn't get sad. He's just, he's just flat. And uh, I'll tell you, in the presence of God, I don't think he deserves flat affect. And it's not, it's not a thing of what he deserves. It's a thing of what he wants to release in you. And when you see it with all of his majesty, you know, the, the natural response is, I want some of that. I just want some of that. And then finally, one of the obstacles is sin. For some, their heart is so hard and insensible that they become lukewarm indifferent, apathetic. And the solution to that is rather very simple. It is repentance. It is repentance. If, if the Father shows himself to me and he invites me, and he invites me unto himself, and the invitation was costly because of the blood of Jesus Christ, and I accept that invitation, Let's say I accept it. But I find no joy, no expression of 
exaltation, no expression of, of, of gratitude. I communicated to him that this sacrifice was not that valuable after all. But I would suggest that every one of these obstacles can be overcome with a full wonder view of the endless majesty of your one great magnificence. And I'll go So when you come into church Sunday or today and you're singing the song, I say, well, Lord, give me the ears for you to serve. And then your songs will become richer. Your, 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 the reading of the scripture will take on new meaning. The message will have a deeper impact. Because all around us in the world, you see, their influence is to try to stymie us or compete for it. Compete for your affections with other things. So I'm going to come to the Father on Sundays and say, Lord, you know, I invite you to come. And let me be a vessel that can reflect your glory. Give to you what you delight in. So worship is the joyful reflection of his infinite glory back to God Himself. Up to this moment, are there any questions or comments? Yes, ma'am. Um, I think sometimes I'm talking about him. Um, I inhibit myself because I don't know if I'm, I'm uh, distracting or showing off or making a scene. <coughs> and I think maybe sometimes people feel that way as well. Not Probably. You know, because they're not sure how people will take it. Um, I went to a church once where they, and, and I was attending it, where they believe in tongues. And uh, I found that to be a little distracting because supposedly somebody was supposed to interpret that, but sometimes they would just um, garble. And, and I, I you know, didn't know what was going on. And let, me, let me ask you this. What does it take for you to express delight in God? And that's confidence. That's not a show. That's not a presentation. That's something that's from my heart. Inside. So it can be, you do express the light inside. What I'm talking about here is inside there. Not, you know, not something that's judged. I'm not, I'm not here to be judged by others. I'm not here to constipation, confusion, either. We're talking about something in terms of all. What, what, how do you do this right off? Well, I did this right off with an open mouth. I mean, you know, and can I, you see what I'm saying? When you get into form, that's a whole different thing. Each denomination has its own different characteristic in that. But what, what I think we're dealing with here is something that is uninhibited by the, by the opinions of others. Because it's here. It's here. Anyone else?
let me let me summarize what we've done. We started with this life by saying that you were made for a, a desire so great, so big, so so magnificent, an abyss so unending that nothing created in the world can ever be satisfied that desire. Only the creator of yourself. You were made that way. And you were born again so that you could be satisfied. You know, Jesus bore down the barrier between you and the Father. Secondly, you have made peace since he died to bring us to God. Hence the day of redemption, regenerating and gave us the life of Christ. He also bore that for in that period that we might find our deepest satisfaction in life in him and in him. Talking about how discipline and beauty is often the motive for our walk with Christ in those initial stages, but somewhere down the line, we hope that that is transferred, that's changed from a life of duty and discipline to a life that seeks delight, delight in him. No wife wants her husband to be married to him simply by duty or discipline. She wants him to delight in her. Father has that same desire. That we find in him our deepest satisfaction. Why? Because the light communicates that um, it communicates work that we, we talked about. Then we talked about how does how does one engage in my quest for satisfaction and his demonstration of his glory? We said that God it came foremost in the heart of the Lord. But the argument for that everything he does is for his glory. It's not for us. It is for his glory. And he invites us to participate with him in that joyful uh, glory of himself. So how do, we, how do we engage together our lives, our quest for satisfaction, and the exaltation of his glory? We do so in worship. We do that by coming to him by Reflecting back to him what his infinite goodness is, because you cannot believe him to perfection. You can't add to him with our songs, or our preaching, or our lack. All we can do is reflect back to him, and we see that as a consistent principle in all of the songs. So my challenge as a believer has been move into that, that area where I can learn how to reflect. And I find my I'll just pray the songs. I'll pray the songs. I'll go to songs and just be praying the songs and recognize that what I'm doing is exalting him with what he himself is. And that's our purpose. <coughs> worship is to reflect back to him. We talked about some of the obstacles to those things, but what we're looking at is not a form. We're not looking at a new manner or a <coughs> That is often devised to churches. We've, we've institutionalized our method of worship. What I'm looking at is something far more internal. How do you respond with joy, with awe, with desire, with satisfaction? And that's our challenge. <coughs> so worship is the joyful reflection of exactly <coughs> We're going to finish this class with the following. 
which came from C.S. Lewis. Therefore, let us not then be content to go on making good fires in the slums, because we cannot imagine what it means to have a holiday by the sea. I use that quote in the first class. Most of you know what you can remember. Let's not be content with slow living, mud pies, and God has invited us to Himself. I would ask you, I challenge you, join one another in that quest for that one great magnificent obsession. What that does is it harmonizes us when we run after the same thing. Puts us together, puts us in the same direction, with the same desire, and we find that the guy running next to us has that same ambition that we have. And you'll find unity and love and joy as the, as the body runs after their desire. Amen.
options like they so that I, I don't get stuck on the same attributes. Just think about them. I think, it, I think it takes a sense of creativity because we're not trained in that. I mean, we're not, we're not, we're not prepared in that typically. I mean, you don't know the Sunday school and learn stuff like that. So it takes a, a sense of creativity. And for me, uh, I, I've found a lot of others praying the Psalms for themselves. Part of the people that are assembled here and will come in just a few moments, they love you, Lord. They love you. And I pray, Father, that you would awaken in us even in the greater on chance hunger for you that drives us beyond the walls of our own lives in the paper reckless pursuit of you. And I have a clue, Lord, that in that pursuit, the world will look and say, he's a really They hunger after something. I said, I can't, but I don't. Well, the world is filled with craziness, and even in your church, there are those who are a little bit strange. But we ask you, Lord, come. Do an authentic 
work within us, in our hearts. Casting aside, Lord, the, the hardness, the indifference, the pride, casting it aside, that we may run to you without fight or fight. Help us to be doers. Thank you so much. Open our eyes to see what the Lord is asking. And it's our ears to hear what so many fail to hear. Not that we'll be proud, not that we can be arrogant or wrong, that we may find in you.